Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts, Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And we're here checking in, as we do at the beginning of every episode. Jen, how are you? I am well. Um, oh, later on the show, just to say this, later on the show, we are going to have um, Ray Hans, who is formerly known as Heather Donahue from the Blair Witch Project, who, fun fact, was my best friend in high school. So that's coming up later. But I'm okay, Kim. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, I've been thinking a lot about you and I were texting yesterday. And we were texting about two different people who we recently come to realize are either, in one case, kind of an asshole, and in the Mm -hmm. other case, totally crazy, possibly. Yes. And we were kind of talking about this whole, like, did I ever know this person, or were the signs there all along? And we both agreed that in both cases, the signs were there all along. Yes, yes, and yes, I agree, and... I, it's funny how we overlook signs when a relationship is convenient in our lives, even though, I mean, this is not about being single. This is about like friendships or colleagues or, you know, because I think you also do it in romantic relationships, but I haven't done that in a long time. But you see the red flags and you're like, oh, this relationship is convenient for me or, well, why, you know, why cause any kind of rift? And I know that we've both made the argument for not cutting a person out of your life. Mm-hmm. But I think it can maybe go a little too far the other way sometimes, you know, where you're just like keeping people around to make you feel unsafe or not good or, you know, having that weird like social media relationship with somebody where you're like obsessing over them, but like you're kind of obsessing over bad things. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. There's this woman who has an online publication and I think she's super cool and she really wants me to write for it. And whenever she asks me to write for it, I'm always like, oh, yeah, not that story, but I'll do one soon. And whenever, and she lives in my neighborhood. So I'm always like, do you want to get together? I'd like to have coffee. And I recently, and she's always like, yeah, yeah, we will. I'm kind of busy right now, but soon. And I realized like, I don't want to write for her. And she doesn't want to have coffee with me. And it's going to be okay. 
Right. Well, I mean, I think that's about setting a boundary, right? There's something that I am not great at. I'm not great at being upfront honest. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't, I'm afraid of what their reaction will be. I, you know, like you, you could have just said, you know, I don't, I don't think that's going to work for me right now. No, it's true. It's true, but it's hard. And it's hard when I think about like, not, you know, closing, you know, closing the book on a friendship, you know, closing the book on a, it's, it, there is no kind way to do it. There's just no kind way to do it. And sometimes it's the most merciful thing you can do for yourself. And sometimes you don't care because the person you're ending the relationship with is, is not worth being friends with and a bad person. Right. And then you have to look at like, where is this me being transactional where I don't want to close the door on this person because I don't want to close the door on the opportunities they may bring me. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least this is, this is something that's happened to me in my life and not really admitting to yourself that all the opportunities that come with this person that you don't like or don't respect or doesn't bring you joy or bring, makes you feel unsafe, all those opportunities are going to be fraught. Yeah. And so it's like just sort of shutting the door or at least, you know, not even shutting it, but closing it most of the way and being like, eh, I'm not letting this in right now. And I don't know why I don't do that. You don't do that. I let these things linger and linger and linger. And I let people take up my time that I don't really want to be taking up my time. And it's something I really want to stop in my life. Yeah, it's weird. You know, I was, um, I saw an article that I thought would be of interest to a former boyfriend of mine. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he's someone who I've realized since since the time when we were together, which was a while ago, that that was a a pretty abusive relationship. And I don't want anything to do with him, but I forwarded him the fucking article. You know, like, just even keeping, like, minor little connections to people. Instead of being like, yeah, no, I don't like how that person treated me. It doesn't matter that we had good times and there was intimacy, because ultimately the headline was bad. Right. Right, right. The the headline was, you know, hurtful. And again, like something we talk about in this episode with Heather, like it was just reinforcing old stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. You know, I'm unlovable. I'm, I'm stupid. I, you know, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. And we keep these people in our lives who, who just reinforce that narrative instead of like allowing themselves to let it go. Well, I, I, I think we were both just talking about how this episode gets a little woo woo, but in a way that I think is actually pretty, very interesting and very smart. So I'm going to be a little woo woo and talk about manifesting. Okay. Because that's the solution, right? Instead of this negative self-talk, I, 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 I'll never have love. I'll never get a good job that I'm worthy of. Like, just like that kind of, this is going to happen for me. And as a Jew, this is really hard because like, you know, you're always supposed to be like, you know, you go pa 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 and spit if somebody, you know, says you're having good luck. It's like, no, 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 you don't talk about good luck. Oh, no, 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 you'll jinx it. Like this horribly superstitious right. side of being a Jew. And if it keeps you from doing what like the Goyim do very successfully, which is like, I am going to get that job, you know? Right. No, I mean... But see, again, though, that is outcome-oriented. 
I think, and I'm not, I'm not in the best spot right now, but I think that it is accepting that I'm not in the best spot and being like, all right, I'm not in the best spot. So what? Instead of like attaching and being like, oh, I'm not in the best spot. Oh my God. You know, like, like I'm not in the best spot this week. Next week, maybe I'll be in a better spot. Maybe I won't. I think there's a little bit of accepting because still by manifesting, you're trying to change the outcome. You're trying to control things and you're trying to force things. And this is, this is a little different than the unlovable thing and, and that sort of narrative. That's like a different thing. But I do think that there is this thing about control, this false sense of control. And I feel this a lot in every part of my life, in parenting, in in friendships, in my relationships, in my, in my career, this false sense that I can control. If I just do these three things, if I just work harder, if I just, you know, say these perfect words to my child, I'm going to get a different result. And none of it is true. I can't control shit. Nothing. I could barely, I I can't even control the equipment for this podcast. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yes. So I, I wonder if that's part of it, but fuck if I know. That's why we talked to, that's why we talked to Ray Hans. That's why we <laughs> talked to Ray. And it is, it, it is an, an episode that I almost texted you in the middle of to say, this is going great because I was so happy with this episode. And it was really very sweet and touching to see the two of you see each other again. And I'm, I'm just, I'm very bullish on this episode. I am too. I had to stop from crying like multiple times. Oh. It was really, it was really intense for me to see my old friend for the first time in like 10 years. So thank you for taking this ride with me. Let's get into the episode. Yeah, let's do it. Our guest today is Ray Hans, who's formerly known as the actress and writer Heather Donahue, best known for her starring role in the 1999 international film sensation, The Blair Witch Project. After leaving Hollywood and burning all her Hollywood stuff in the desert, Ray moved to Northern California in the early 2000s where she grew and sold medical marijuana before it was really legal, an experience she documented in her 2012 memoir, Grow Girl. Since then, Ray has moved to rural Maine, spent the last few years getting sober, healing childhood and adult traumas, and is now working on her second book on the I Ch- the I Ching. Sorry, guys. Um, welcome, Ray. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so, I just have to start out and tell listeners I'm like almost close to tears here. This is a big deal for me. Um, you and I were best friends in high school, and. Having you on talking to me with Kim when we spent our teens together reading Sassy Magazine, you were the only person I knew in Philly, in the Philly suburb where we lived, that was assessed with Sassy as I was. And somehow this feels like a circle is being closed. It does in a way. It really does. Like, it's weird, Kim. We spent our lives reading you and, like, clipping out Sassy Magazine and, like, making collages for each other. And, like, when we got the new issue, we were so excited. Do you remember this, Heather? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why when I saw you were doing this podcast with with Kim and then and then Andrea was on a couple weeks ago. And then yeah. Yeah. I haven't, like, I'm waiting for Christine, Christina Kelly to come on. Has she been on yet? <laughs> she, she has been on, Yeah. Oh, because she, she, was, she was like definitely one of my favorites, too. I just loved everything she wrote. Christina yeah. was everybody's favorite. Totally. But, um, but equally, I was 
nervous to talk to you today. And the reason is that we were really, really extremely close friends in high school in that intense and sometimes toxic kind of way oh, that you totally. are when you're teen girls, right? Totally. <laughs> even though it's been decades, I still um, felt same of, some of that same anxious charge. Like, what are you going to think of me? Like, would I sound stupid? <laughs> <laughs> And I realized thinking about our friendship, how much I loved you. And, oh, God, yeah. And how much I feel like a little bit we let each other down. And I just was just wanted to get it out of the way. I, I wonder if you remember it that way. Oh, God, I, I absolutely. I was actually telling Devin before we got started, Devin, your producer, like that we were like best friends, frenemies, competitors, uh, just inspirers, uh, pushers, pullers, like everything. Like, we had just this level of resonance where, like, that was completely activating. Yes. You know, yes, I think we just yes. activated the shit out of each other in a way that was yes. both beautiful and creative and destructive and, like, all of the teen girl things in that time of just, like, maximum intensity. Yes. Like, I only wanted to be around you. I only, like, you were the only person who lit me up like that. Well, because we could both withstand that level of intensity because we both we're thriving on like that was our that was our freak the frequency that we operated on totally we were and we were both really messy oh god <laughs> learning to embody that much energy is a, a fucking lifetime practice yes. <laughs> ergo yes. ergo recovery trauma you know like, it's it's been a bumpy ride to actually put all that like be able to hold all that in my skin totally and that's so one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you on the podcast is because in the last couple of years, you know, mostly over social social media, but we've really aligned on a number number of things, yeah. um, particularly around being recovering messy people who were super ambitious, who chased after our dreams, thinking that we knew what we wanted, even though those dreams were mostly about sort of giant ego projections and you know? external validation. Totally. Yes, external validation. Oh, 100%, totally. So, yeah. How do you feel about like your first dream now, which was to be an actress? How do you feel about acting now? How do you feel about that whole time? Uh, I feel, well, about acting, I feel like I, by the time I left that career, I was tired of being anyone but, but myself. I was absolutely ready to be myself. Right. Um, to me, like that experience was so wild and so crazy and so unusual. Like I was immediately famous overnight, but punished for it. What do you mean? Well, because Blair Witch was wildly successful. The three of us actors were the ones in the field improvising it and all that stuff. And then when it became successful, for, for me personally, especially, I ended up absorbing most of the backlash for that. And then it was under my own name, my, my name at that time. And it was, so it was, it, it just impeded my ability to show up in the world as myself. Like, I, it was impossible to just be who I was without this additional layer of identity kind of put on top of it. And also, there were so many security issues, and I didn't have any resources. Like, I didn't make any of the money from it, but I had a lot of the problems that come with being famous and none of the resources. So that was a really definitely challenging and terrifying period. But at the end of the day, like I got to know what that felt like. So I could leave that, 
I could leave that world with no regrets. There was no like, oh, if only I'd made it or whatevs, you know. I, you know, I ended up having a private conversation with Harvey Weinstein by my trailer in 2000. Like, I had all those experiences. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I did not want to be a star at the end of the day. That is not, that was not ever going to be aligned with, with who I was. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, and plus, like, I think, Jen, you too, like, we all, writing always was the main thing. Right. Like for, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, and so it always came back to writing. So I wanted to be in a position where I could finance writing a book. Cause that was my real dream. You know, yeah. I, I think Jen, you and I both grew up in like blue collar families. Like I, I was thinking about selling flowers at your dad's store in South Philly. Totally. <laughs> selling like Easter we teenagers. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> totally. And like, so performing got a lot more, praise and validation from my family than wanting to write a book did that was a little more of a unknown territory so you know you kind of follow follow the praise to some extent when you're a kid you know of course it's so interesting what you say about how acting made you feel like you had this other layer because I, I feel like for the people who the people who do love being actors and who do become big stars. That other layer is like their protection and their strength mm-hmm. and everything else. Well, and I think people don't really talk about fame trauma because you're supposed to be grateful for it. Mm-hmm. But there's, yeah. a, there's a profound loss of uh, stability, privacy, identity, security, um, a lot of things that most people fundamentally take for granted. That people, so that they're, and they're, you're not really allowed to give voice to that because it sounds ungrateful, but there is a, like a real fracturing of identity that takes place with that. So you were 24. Mm-hmm. You were 24. And because the Blair Witch Project used your name as the character's mm-hmm. name, so people were confused, right? Totally. Too. Yeah. Like, was that really you? Were, I mean, some people were even confused. Did you die? I mean, but that's just... Uh, who, who, <laughs> right, right. Like, I, I heard your mom got, your mom got yes. like, sympathy cards. Can you believe that? That's crazy. It's so crazy. So, but so what, what was that? So we're in 1999. Mm-hmm. You're in Los Angeles at the time. Are mm-hmm. people coming up to you on yes. the street? Yes, Are... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's scary. There's people who people are coming up to you on car, the street. Car people cha- are getting okay. car yeah. chased. People coming up to me on the street. People coming up to me on the street wanting their money back. Like, oh no. Oh yeah, no, no. It was not like a an appreciative people coming up to me on the street because that movie was so polarizing. P- people did not hesitate to share their opinions of it with me, and how and just like I've. I've been getting trolled on the internet for as long as there's been an internet. Right. So like, right. I finished, my brain finished forming with like trolls in it. <laughs> well, you know, but it also speaks to something that is very unique about that movie, which is that like, I was talking to my boyfriend about it the other day and he was like, you know, I don't know what that was they were doing. Like, I don't know if it was acting or not, but it was fucking awesome. Like the, the actual the way that movie comes off, it does feel incredibly real. Yeah, I mean that that was that was the job. Yeah, and it and that and it and it felt strange and definitely made me feel very bitter and resentful for a long period of time that I was like punished for doing a good job. 
Right, because people <laughs> thought that it wasn't a good job because they thought you were just being yourself. So what a confusing fucking thing, right? right. And <laughs> Right, exactly. And, like, my job in that movie was to always be filming. So that's, that's of course, that's not, like, going to be a likable heroine. Right. <laughs> and I agreed to that job. And it was, like, it, it was such a peculiar... It was such a peculiar thing to then feel that, um, feel that like everyone was participating in the success of it, but me. Yeah. And then when it was, but when it, we were actually doing it, I had the, a very big job. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And I remember, I remember you telling me like you were going on like, I don't know, the Tonight Show or something. And you were so broke that like your car broke down on the way. Like you didn't even have enough money oh. to get to the Tonight Show. Yeah, my, <laughs> my 84 Celica broke down on La Cienega under a billboard with my face on it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, and like in retrospect, who gets to have that experience? I'm, I'm telling you, you could not put that in a book because nobody would believe it. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, um, no, but I, I think that, um, I, I really think that it was really brave. And I still think about this. Like, you played a character with no makeup. None. No cool or slick wardrobe. I wore layers, Jen. I wore right. layers. <laughs> you were not sexualized. And right. And like. You're creating this true and honest depiction of what a woman looks like, right? In a time when nobody's doing this. Like, and what feminine ambition looks like. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the part that really pissed people off. Yep. I didn't, yep. didn't want to fuck those guys. I wanted them to follow my instructions. Right. Right. That's so interesting. <laughs> yep. And now let's take a quick break for some ads. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. 
You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule, essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry leading sustainability standards. You know, I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Uh, okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. And we're back. You said something that I related to very strongly, that your obituary was written, you were 24, that no matter what else you do with your life, none of it will ever be the first line of your obituary like Blair Witch. I mean, I, I feel the same way very much about Sassy and Lucky. Right. You know, that that was it. How, how does that make you feel today? Like, is that something you live with? Or are you at peace with oh, it? Oh, well, that's why I changed my name for the second half of my life. I right. felt I felt like I was in a position where everything to me felt feel, like to me my life feels absolutely new. Like I love being middle-aged. Like I love this incredible polarity that I'm like in the in the juicy juicy middle of like the between the portals of birth and death. <laughs> you make it sound so good. I'm you so do. fucking alive <laughs> with it like Oh man, like I know shit and I care less about things and I'm confident in my authority. I'm confident in my body. I, I'm having the best sex of my life. Like everything just feels so juicy about this time. Like I'm, yeah, I, I, I feel like I was born to be in my 40s and I can't wait to see what 50s are like because I, like just the confidence it feels so amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's amazing. Because like, I don't always feel that way. How are you achieving that? Do you feel like you are, what? Okay, just tell, tell me the secrets. <laughs> I don't know that there's, well, okay. I, th I think like th three of the things are the things that I teach in my fuck suffering book. I'm, and, and, the, and in the fuck suffering practice group. Like boundaries. Self-compassion and knowing when I'm stepping on the drama triangle. Like mm. once I got mastered those three skills, like everything became so much easier. So much easier. I'm not right, a victim. Well, let's I'm not let's a, talk. Uh, Go ahead. Keep yeah, I, I'm not step to know when I'm stepping on the victim triangle. Am I in victim mode? Am I trying to rescue somebody or am I being a, a persecutor? And it's not like I don't have to engage in those behaviors, but I better damn well know when I'm doing it. Wait, explain that again. So when, how am I being a person? So we're talking about something called, and I've heard you talk about this before, the drama triangle, or, and you've also called it the victim triangle. Explain those three things again, because I think this is really interesting. And I've heard you talk about boundaries also in a really interesting way. Um, and we could talk about boundaries in a second, but explain these. I love boundaries. The, yes. <laughs> I, 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 I need to get better at boundaries. Like, but explain them. these three things again. You've gotten much better at boundaries, Romelini. It's true. When I worked with Kim, when I first worked with Kim, God, Heather, I was such a, just a mess. Just like a 
rolling around, like kind of, kind of, a, kind of a drunk, like just like a <laughs> Tasmanian devil of just like trauma and dysfunction and no boundaries. Like, yeah. all right, sure. Yeah, exactly. You know? But but I think that's how you learn them. And like, how many? Yeah. You know, like I was in a bunch of like really terrible relationships. And two that were straight up abusive. And I had to look like who, who is standing in, in front of the person who's standing in front of the narcissist, a person with no boundaries. If you set a boundary, a narcissist has no power. They're only, they only gain power by you not having boundaries, by you desiring their approval. You completely defang them when you have boundaries. And so that goes right. kind of into what is, what is victim consciousness? How, how much am I willing to own my participation in my reality? Right. Right, right. No, you, you said something. What, what was the other one, the, the persecutor? What is, what is that third one? Well, per- persecutor is like my most, uh, <laughs> let's say, activating um, <laughs> version <laughs> of persecutor is, vic- is like weaponized victimhood. When somebody feels like, you don't understand what's happened to me. I get to treat people however I want. Right. Because right. you don't know what's happened to me. I'm entitled to behave this way because I'm such a victim. Right. Right. It's like, it's, right. it's, a, it's, it's, it's a big AA thing. It's like you, you, um, that, you know, that complete cutting out of self-pity, I think is so important. Oh God, it's, it's so important. And when you look at like how that ripples out, if you look at it from a sociological perspective, like how willing are we to step, step into our power and be responsible for how much of that social identity we take on? Like how much, um, like for me in recovery, I became a gardener for a job. And if you would have told me when I was 24, 25, that I would be, you know, a 47, well, I started that job when I was like 44. Like if I would have been a you would have told me I was going to be a 44 year old recovering gardener. I would say like, well, how long after that will I be killing myself? Right. Right. And for me, that was the most incredibly healing, powerful, incredible job that just made me feel connected to absolutely everything. In a way that just shifted everything. I remember going through a very tough time, time at Lucky when I was there, when I was really in exceptionally bad shape and emotionally, physically. And I thought, I want to serve lattes to people. Oh, like, yeah. I, I want to be really good at like serving a fucking latte or like wrapping up someone's flowers. Like that's the kind of job I think I could feel good about right now. Yeah. And there's something so powerful about that because your connection to everything is so direct, so true, so real, so immediate that you, you feel very, like for me, I just, I feel very alive in that work. And so I still well, do it part time. Plus it's boundaries, right? Because there's also boundaries around the work, right? There's something about, and when you're talking about being a gardener, you're not talking about like being a fancy lady gardener in your backyard. You're actually talking no, about I'm being working a, gardener as a gardener for people. Yeah, like I, yes. But I'm there's amazing. boundaries I'm around like, that work. I'm incredible yeah. at mulching. Yeah. <laughs> I can spread, I, no shit, I can spread eight yards of mulch in three hours by myself. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom. That's hilarious. <laughs> No, because what I think that happens with work, and especially when it's tied to ambition, and and I want to get into ambition Mm. somewhat, is because, well, let me just finish this thought, is 
the idea of being a gardener or serving lattes or these, these jobs that have inherent boundaries. You go in, you do the work, you finish the work, you get paid for that amount of work, you go home, that's it. Work's done, right? Mm-hmm. This idea that like the way that work is now and work can be all the time and it can fill in every nook and cranny and ambition and it drives us to want more and I need this and I need that and the external validation and... I I saw you say, write a post about Britney Spears recently, mm. um, that the unfolding Britney Spears story is a great allegory about ambition. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I know you've been thinking a lot about ambition too. Oh God, I do, I do think about ambition a lot because I don't feel like I'm less ambitious. I just feel like I'm more ambitious about service. What do you mean by that? I'm more ambitious about what I serve. Like last year, um, last year I received Jukai in the Zen tradition, which is to take to take the Bodhisattva vows, to agree okay. that like now your your compass is to do your best to relieve all beings from suffering. And so, okay. how do you do that? Because I'm not really like a nice. I'm not particularly nice, and I don't I don't really concern myself with that. So really deter- discerning that difference between niceness and compassion has been a big part of how I honor those vows. Like I, I love, uh, I love that heretical vigor. You know what I mean? Like I, I still have that like rebellious tendency. So how do I then, how do I, in all the sutras, like the bodhisattvas all have names like according to their nature, right? So, okay. you know, like when everybody's, I've seen everybody's kids born and like those kids all come into the world with a certain way of being in the world that mm-hmm. just gets altered as they get conditioned and this and that. So how, how can I serve according to my nature, which isn't always going to look like, um, thought I was going to look nice, but it's also not going to look like my old version of it. It's going to have all the vigor of my old version of ambition that only cared about external validation. Right. But now it's for something else. So like, I don't worry. I don't feel self-conscious about self-promotion because it's in service. I don't feel self-conscious about putting quote unquote, putting myself out there or any of that stuff because it's in service. I'm not afraid to take risks because it's in service such a smart way of thinking about things. Yeah, it is because it's because yeah. because it prov- it keeps me it makes me so much more confident. Because I know what I'm for. I know what the rest of my life is for. I don't have any like confusion about that. How it how it shows up, what the next right action is. I don't know that like 10 actions down the line. Right. I know that my job is to open and bear witness and be uncomfortable until that next right action is revealed and being able to sit in that discomfort. You know what I think is so fascinating though is this whole notion of like hewing to your nature, paying attention to who you are before you act, before you think, before you, you know, lash out. It's so smart. Well, cause it's just who, who I, I'm never gonna be the little, nobody's gonna call me sweet. Do you know what I mean? And I am ab- absolutely fine with that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't expect that. And I don't pretend to be that. I don't need to be that. And I don't need to right. be, like, false humility. Like, in, in, a, in AA, there's also, like, the thing of being right-sized. 
Well, they don't call it playing small. They call it being right sized. So you show up as the size that is right for you. <laughs> you know, right. I think sometimes when we are like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm just, oh, I'm just going to be this middle-aged lady. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to walk into the supermarket lit, moist, pussied and fully alive. Right. Oh, no, of course <laughs> I am. That's how I'm going to walk up to the ATM machine. That's how I'm going to walk in the supermarket. That's how I'm going to walk through this life. Because life meets you in a different way when you walk through the world that way. So wait, are you, so wait, is this just, is this just the stable way that you are right now? Oh God, it is so fun. (laughs) (laughs) I know we're both, our mind, our brains are spinning right now. I mean, no, I don't, I don't always feel good. What I have is a metabolism. Like I trust my metabolism. So I don't have to like worry. Like I don't worry about like not feeling good. Like, okay. Cause I trust that like I can devour that, absorb what nourishes and shit out the rest in a very quick period of time. But how? Right. How? Well, I think part of it is, is meditation practice. I had a a Vipassana practice for a really long time and then I became a Zen practitioner and that being able to return to my own skin and feel like, like the electromagnetic, I'm going to go slight woo. Um, Go woo. (laughs) Like the electromagnetic field of your heart is in a torus shape that extends three feet out from your body. So your field is goes beyond your skin like your skin and reality are both permeable membranes and so my my sitting practice is partly to check in with that reality every day how permeable is my skin how much am i able to let in and let out where am i able to soften where am i clenching and like for me romance has always been the hardest part because like I'm dating again after coming out of two abusive relationships and coming out of a long period like I had this really eight year dark night of the soul where it was just constant failure my book didn't sell my I started this company that I got got it to the point where I would have needed a huge influx of cash it failed um, then I produced this tv show that didn't sell and then I was raped And then I left California and then I got this sum of money when they made that other Blair Witch Project because they were going to use our names and likenesses. And I fought that, Um, which was another great thing about never wanting to be in that business again. And so I took that money and just drove around North America getting shit faced for about two years and hoping I would die. Like, I did not want to be alive anymore. Literally, like, you didn't, you were not living at home. You were just no. traveling the country and getting no, fucked up. just traveling all over the place. Um, I was, had my dog with me, so I was staying in a lot of, like, Motel 6s because they would take dogs. I was, like, staying in, like, a Motel 6 in Savannah, Georgia for, like, six weeks. Um, then I went to Miami to visit a friend who was working on a movie there and would then went, then got a vacation rental in Wildwood, New Jersey, where I spent all my childhood summers. So then I spent six months there. Wow. Yeah. I was just. So how did you, wandered. I mean, that's, that sounds like a very desperate time. How did you, oh, emerge, how did you emerge from that? By deciding I wanted to live. Right. 
by finally deciding that I wanted to live. Did something tip that? Was there an event? Um, it wasn't like a, there was no like come to Jesus moment. Mm -hmm. I think it was partly moving to Maine and partly moving to Maine made me feel held in a way, in a vast way that I had never felt before. Wow. Just like a connection. You know, there's that, that quote, um, uh, geography is destiny. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just like you felt connected to Maine. Immediately. Okay. And I was like, okay, this is where I'm going to live the rest of my life. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know it's going to happen here. Hmm. And it, and, and then I was, and then, well, I also fell in love with a, uh, a marine biologist who studied whale songs <laughs> because you know the poetry and uh, and then got this perfect little cottage on a lake in Maine for like 650 a month and so everything wow. just wow. like everything fell into place where it was like okay this is really where you belong I just kept getting yes after yes after after yes and then he dumped me on Valentine's Day and then my sobriety date was March 4th after that so that was a, a two weeks that you could probably picture. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. That was, I, I remember waking up in my car, like almost frozen to death, just shit faced behind a crap pub. Wow. Yeah. So wow. that, so I had a couple of incidents like that where I was like, okay, what are you going to do? Because if you're going to die, you should probably go ahead and do it instead of like do it in a more direct way. Like, own up. Stop being such a fucking coward. That's dark, Ray. It's fun. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's why I teach what I teach now. Right. Yeah. Because it is not about the outside circumstances. It's not. What was it like for you when you first um, became sober to, like, not have that reliable dulling agent? you know, just to, to not no, to no longer be able to numb out. Did that take a while? Did it feel immediately like it was the right thing for you? I mean, obviously it was the right thing, but. but. Right, right. I was so uh, shaking and full of dread, both like physiological <laughs> shaking and psychological shaking and spiritual shaking that like for the first 30 days, I walked around my love seat listening to Gabor Mate's in the, in the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, the audiobook. Mm -hmm. Like, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I couldn't, like, I was really not very functional. So I, and I couldn't lay down because, like, my, I felt like I was crawling out of my skin. I was just, like, there was no comfort. Everything was discomfort. Every breath, every step, everything was discomfort. So all I could do was walk one kept putting one foot in front of the other in circles around the love seat. Wow. wow. For like a month. <laughs> yeah. And then things leveled out a little bit, but that like remembering like the level of discomfort then, like I come back to that a lot now of just like, okay, I know how to be uncomfortable. And that is like, that is priceless. It really is. It's something I'm, 
particularly atrocious at, and I've really tried to improve, but it's, it's very hard withstanding that discomfort, which usually passes. Oh, it, you know, al- it always pretty does. quickly. Well, yeah. you know, when you're having like one of those full on crying jags, mm-hmm. you know, where you're like, just full, like full on, if you time them, if that lasts 10 minutes, it's a long one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And if you can keep that in mind, then you can let yourself go there and like not turn away from that experience. And like just allow yourself to let that energy move through you. And instead of lodging trauma in the body, allowing it to move so it doesn't get calcified and stuck in like your hip. And then you're wondering what's wrong with your hip or your psoas. And you're wondering like, oh, is it my lower back? No, it's probably just your psoas. (laughs) You know, like you're holding all of this around your pelvis once we start getting into those shitty relationships with our body, then we lose our connection to Eros. And then we wonder why our sex lives, or we, we think it's dry pussy because with middle age, but no, it's because we've started to hate our bodies. You know, like how can we, how can we get juicy with all of life again? You know, like truly yeah. open up in that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, I've heard you say that um, I understand that it's a privilege to change a life. What do you mean is by it? that? Because I think I think you're right, but oh, I, I don't I, think I, I ever said yeah. that. Oh, I don't, really? <laughs> no. Really? <laughs> I think you did. I think I read it. No, but maybe you don't remember it. Um, a, priv- well, a privilege, a, a to, privilege change a life. to change a life. To change a life. It's a privilege to change a life. I think I read an interview of yours. I swear that I did my research. Oh, um, that would have to be from if if I ever said that, that would have to be from a very long time ago. Because yeah. now my perspective is that everybody's life is changing all the time. So buckle up, you know. Right. Yeah. No, but I mean, I think that what you're talking about. So you, you sort of went went for it totally, right? You ran at the pain mm-hmm. and you allowed yourself to be sort of totally submerged by the pain. And then, and then you sort of, you came out of it. And a lot of this was a solo journey, which we are all solo, right? Even if we're married, mm-hmm. even if we have kids, whatever. But we do create these like false senses of stability in our lives and these structures so that we feel like we're stuck. And I wonder how you think about, or when you're talking to clients, How do you think about, you know, oh, well, I have responsibilities. I could never change everything. Oh, well, you know, because changing yourself changes the the dynamic of the the life that you've made, right, for yourself and your relationships with other people and whatever the structure is of your life, changing yourself changes that. And people are afraid. I think that's an added layer of our fear to change is that it will fuck up, you know, our marriages, our relationship with our children, our relationships with our parents, our siblings, et cetera, et cetera. How do you think about that? I think that's real. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's real. I think this is why people hesitate to set boundaries too. There are right. some people who only want your yes. And when you start to say no, you will lose those people and that grief is real. Right. And nobody can, nobody can take that grief away, but the grief of self-abandonment is much more long-term. And much harder to live with overall. Right. Right. No, I, I hear that. I hear that. I hear that. Now, can, can we circle back just for a moment mm-hmm. to something you mentioned earlier, which was the importance of self-compassion? Because mm-hmm. I think that's something that so many of us struggle with. Mm-hmm. How do you... I mean, I, I feel like it's so reflexive. Like, you know, I drop something. Fuck, you're an idiot. 
like the, the, the negative self-talk, whether it's something very minor or something significantly, significantly more consequential, the negative self-talk is very reflexive sometimes. And I think that comes from, I think that's an embodiment problem. What do you mean? I mean, it, when we are not at ease in our bodies, when we're in our minds, when we're creating, when, when we're, I call it the identity turbine, we're like when we're entangled in the mechanism of the identity turbine, where we're like reiterating these old stories about ourselves, like, oh, I'm an idiot, I'm unlovable, I'm, I'm, I'm here to be devalued. <laughs> like that was my super hot button for a really long time. Yeah. Um, d please reiterate my story about how little value I have. Um, <laughs> hmm, right. You know, and then, and sometimes, you know, even find it like the erotic edge of that was very powerful in getting past that for me. Um, but when we, when we land in our bodies, it's, I think it's easier for us to be tender with ourselves because you see like, oh my God, this skin, like the mind will be brutal. We will brutalize ourselves with our thoughts. Mm -hmm. And if we can drop out of that and into our feet and like, like the simple thing of doing the longer exhale than inhale, that brings the parasympathetic nervous system online where you can just, and that is just such an easy way to activate that and just be like, okay, I deserve gentleness. I deserve gentleness. There's no need for me to behave this way to myself. Right. It's just not required. This, this is an old story. This, this is, is an old, old this story. This is not actually yeah. what's happening now. That makes so much sense. It does. It makes so much sense. And sometimes, <laughs> it so sometimes it's as easy as just that, that reminder, like I deserve gentleness and I always have. And just because right. I didn't find it when I needed it, doesn't mean I don't deserve it and can't have it now from me. Right. And not looking for it from other people because you can't control other people. You can set the boundary, but you can't make them treat you in a certain oh, way. Oh, boundaries you have are to not yes. for controlling anyone else's behavior. This is like one of the biggest misconceptions about boundaries. Right. It's not for controlling anyone else's behavior. It's not for you to exercise your resentment. It is, it is right. a statement of your skin, period. Here, right. we are not two, not one. We are different, but not separate. Here is my boundary. Right. I, I heard you say, um, setting, setting boundaries allows others to see who I really am in this moment instead of who I want them to see. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh familiar. my God, that's amazing. <laughs> but also that's why boundaries are so scary because yep. it's allowing yourself to be seen. Yes. You are showing your psycho-spiritual skin. Here is, yeah. the, here, is, here is the shape of me and here's how it rubs up against the shape of you. And sometimes this is going to hurt. Right. Right. Um, explain before, I want to make sure we get to before we go, because I know you're working on a, a book about this. Explain the I Ching to me. All I know about it is that Miranda July practice it, practices it whenever she gets stressed out. Oh, she does? <laughs> yes. Oh. yes. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very old Chinese book, uh, by some estimations, 5,000 years old. Um, and uh, there's some sense that Chinese language actually came out of it as opposed to the other way around. Mm -hmm. And it evolved at a time when China was changing from um, a matriarchy to a patriarchy. 
And so it's po quite possible, and I do believe this, that the I Ching was actually around for a much longer time before that, but it was only when they switched to patriarchy that this needed to be written down. So the okay. I Ching, to me, because um, I've been working with it for tw like 25 years now, and it's, um, for me, this is just like a very human, a very human energetic map of all possible experiences like all possible skeletons for all possible experiences. When you add up all the different combinations that are possible, there's over 10,000 combinations. Um, so you have 64 main hexagrams. Anytime I start to talk about it, it starts to sound very complicated and it's really, yes. it's I'm, I'm, really I'm yes, not. I'm right. <laughs> it's really, really not. There's 64 <laughs> hexagrams, which is, it's not like the tarot, but in some ways it is archetypical like that. Okay. okay. So anyway, for me, it's just something I, it's a tool for when your intuition can't make it through your identity. Okay. When your intuition okay. can't quite push through your preferences, your habits of mind, your, uh, uh, your ways of getting in your own way. Right. So it disrupts, it disrupts the ways you've gotten in your own way. Is that, would you say that? It, it, it clears off the, like the trash that you've put over your map. Okay. Like as if you've like thrown some wrappers or something on your map and the itching will kind of clear it out. It's not the territory itself, but it is definitely a map and it's okay. a, and it's incredibly clear, specific map. But it came, it's been, it's been carried on through uh, the, the Confucian era of China. So it definitely started to, the I Ching started to internalize a lot of misogyny. Um, like the feminine hexagrams actually were starting to be translated as evil. So like the okay. feminine was actually written into it as evil instead of replenishing. Like it, they already started to demonize anything that was not associated with productivity. Like this is something that comes up for me a lot, even when I'm uh, working with people coaching, like I don't come from a psychological perspective because for me, the whole field of study of psychology is steeped in normalizing things associated with productivity and pathologizing anything not associated with productivity. Like to me, if, you, if there's a period of time where you need to be in bed for a week, well, maybe it's because you need to be in bed for a week. Right. And the more you pathologize that, the longer that period gets, because now you're shaming yourself for needing replenishment. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there is, I think it's really beneficial that we don't lose, that, that we accompany any kind of psychological perspective with a spiritual perspective. That those two things can, right now, like I think the psychological really likes to pollute the spiritual and keeping those things in their own lanes provides a nice, clean, clear resource depending on where you're at in your process. And for me, the I Ching is actually a very nice, flows nicely with both the psychological and the spiritual. So it's a super valuable tool for me in my personal practice and for working mm -hmm. with clients. Interesting. And so interesting to think of in term, you know, as it relates to psychology, you know, in that, absolutely. Heather, what do you still want to do? I mean, not Heather. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm exactly. so sorry, Heather. I just, I, I, it was a long time of Heather. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not like you know, I don't, I don't. 
I'm not like hiding from that part. It's just more like, oh, we're doing a reset. You know, yeah. so here's here's what we call here's the name of this portion. <laughs> right, right. No, I get it. I get it. Ray, what do you still want to do in your life? What do you still want to do? Oh, I want to serve more people. I want yeah. I, I want to provide um, that simple frame shift. Like one of my clients gave me the best compliment ever. She said, "You make really deep dark shit fun." <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, like that's, that's my jam. Like I, I don't really go in for a lot of the um, formal, formal woo. I, I feel like this is a, I feel like any kind of spiritual path is a very pragmatic, very necessary, very required project for each person to take on in their own way, you know, like, so mm-hmm. for yeah. me, like I just, I love guiding people to their own essence, basically. Okay, that settles it. I'm com- I'm coming to Maine. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to Maine so we can fix me. All right. <laughs> there's no, there's nothing to fix. Nothing ever. Nothing. We're broken, taking a road trip. All right. That's <laughs> awesome. Are. Yeah. Do you guys Jen, like to see kayak? <laughs> Well, kayak. Jen's going to be here next week. I got a car. We'll drive. Oh, my God. Yes, that sounds so fun. <laughs> that sounds perfect. I'll take you out gardening, too. Perfect. Oh, my God. I love talking to you. This was so great. Thank you so much for doing this with us today. Oh, yeah, thank thanks, you Ray. so much. This was, this was great. And we must catch up some other time, Jen. Oh, we are absolutely going to. This is... I, I'm... I'm going to take you and just suck up all the energy I need. <laughs> also, I missed you. All I right. know. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank oh, you, Ray. Thank you. See you guys. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please rate and review it on all the platforms. It really helps people find us. You can also find us on Instagram at EIF Podcast. We're on Twitter and Facebook. We also have a Patreon where we put up bonus episodes and bonus content. For our Patreon, it's patreon.com backslash everything is fine. And you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 